This episode of the Sportsman's Nation is brought to you by Outdoor Edge and their complete lineup of replaceable blade knives, fixed blade knives, and game processing kits. Now, we've all been there before, trying to field dress your wild game with a dull knife. This is where Outdoor Edge really steps in. With the Razor Safe system, you can have a brand new razor sharp blade with just the push of a button. No more dull blades and no more problems processing your wild game. To check out all of the products from Outdoor Edge, visit OutdoorEdge.com. And at checkout, enter the discount code NATION30. That's N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off of your purchase. Check out Dogs Are Treat at DogsAreTreat.com. And if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartree.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Shoot up here! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Welcome back to the Houndsman XP Podcast. For this week's episode, we are going to Montana, Marion, Montana, and we are talking to Casey Stutzman. Casey was a guest previously on the podcast, and anybody that knows Casey, you just got to like the guy. I mean, immediately when I met Casey, I knew that uh, he was the type of houndsman that I wanted to, to feature on the podcast, so I'm really happy to have him back on here again. We caught up with him uh, back when lion season was was winding down for him, and 
we kind of take a deep dive into to what's going on there with mountain lion management and the projects he worked on up there. If you want to be a better houndsman, then get to know the best houndsman you can find and pick their brain. Casey's one of those guys. You're going to enjoy this podcast. Another reminder, we have HXP merch available at Dogs Are Treat. And you can go to Dogs Are Treat and enter the promo code HXP 20% off and get your Houndsman XP gear there. Throw in a, a tie out, a, a leash, anything that you, you want or need for premium hound gear, camp gear, leading your dogs. They're really putting that together there. So check out Houndsman XP gear at dogsartree.com. And if you're a Patreon member, we will send you a code for even deeper discounts from not only Dogs Are Treed, but other premium companies. And when we search for our sponsors, we only select the best companies that we can find, only products that we would use ourselves, and that gets the Houndsman XP endorsement. So become a Patreon member today and support this show. We, we really enjoy hearing from you and engaging with our, with our audience, but find us on our website at houndsmanxp.com and join us on Patreon. We really would appreciate your support if you're enjoying these shows. Every person that joins us on Patreon is going to get some Houndsman XP gear. But if you join us at the highest level, at just $12 a month, then we will include a subscription to Southern Hound Honey Magazine. And you've heard their ads in our podcast before. And we're really excited about our partnership with Southern Hound Honey Magazine. And we're going to be making our debut this upcoming issue with an article in there or a column in there from Houndsman XP. So join us on Patreon. You can go to houndsmanxp.com. Find us there. I've been rambling on long enough. We've been rigging. We've got a good box shaker strike here, like my buddy Larry Anderson would say. Let's drop the tailgate and dump this box. Southern Hound Honey Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Honey Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. <laughs> well, Casey Stutzman, welcome back to the Houndsman XP podcast, man. I, the first podcast we did together, I uh, really enjoyed that conversation we had. We got a lot of good feedback on it, and, and I just wanted to catch up with you a little bit. You guys are, according to you, the snow's disappearing and the hunting's slowing down, and so I thought I'd catch up with you and get an update on how everything's going out in the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, everything's been good. No, it's good to good to visit with you again for sure. We, uh, yeah, we've had kind of a 
kind of an off winter in regards to regards to snow conditions. So it's you know it's been a lot of a lot of bear ground hunting and and uh, hit and miss, freeze and thaw stuff. But it's also nice we haven't I haven't had to drag the snowshoes out too. So I kind of like that. Yeah. Do you guys do you guys use trail cameras or anything out there? Is there you know, any re- is there any reason do, to? You know, I per- you know, I'm I I personally don't uh, um, use any trail cameras, but I I always love seeing even some good friends of mine. They they showed me a bunch of pictures here, right right behind the house here the other day. You know, some some cats crossing and and some of that. So it's a, um, you know, I think that it'd be a it's one of the things I probably ought to invest a little time and effort into. For sure. I don't know how I feel about it. You know, I I, I if I'm training a young dog. And I want to get them on good tracks. I could see where it could be beneficial, but but this cellular cellular trail camera technology has turned a lot of deer hunters into deer, you know, trophy slayers. You know, I mean, uh, they know what time deer are moving through their property. They get get texts of it when when you know they're watching it almost in real time um and i just think that i don't know how i feel about it move it you know if we would if we would start adopting some of that mentality into our hounds i can see where it could be really beneficial for uh training pups and have even thought about that you know yeah i you know personally i guess i guess i haven't ever really you know thought about implementing it in but you know, I can see benefits both ways, but I, I can see abuses too. You know, I guess it kind of comes down to, you know, what your, what your expectation and what you're trying to get out of it is too, you know, like, um, um, the technology it adds to, and it, it gives them some advantages, but I don't know, in ways it takes away from too. So I can, I guess I can see it both ways. But. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think about some of the stuff like, you know, flying a drone, and it's illegal to fly drones in pursuit of game in several states. Um, you know, if, if you were to do something, but where does it stop? Where does the technology stop on hunting and just the hunter being a hunter? You know, we're dumb on our, I say it all the time. My Garmin has made me, has really dumbed me down. And, and you might be surprised at this, but. I don't worry about even looking at my Garmin when I'm hunting out there in your country because I can see the peak and I can see the landscape and stuff like that. But you get in a big Indiana flatwoods or, uh, you know, down in the south, down in some of those swamps where you don't have any landmarks. And I used to never have to use use my Garmin. Well, I was hunting down there before I had Garmin's. And never yeah. walked the wrong way out out of the woods or anything like that. But I I get so daggone dependent on looking at that thing now that I think I could just about get lost in my yard anymore. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it definitely does take away a, a feller's uh, you know or just just paying attention. You know, paying yeah. attention when you drop the ridge or something else. Like you just you know you just don't even think about it anymore. And uh, I mean. I, I'm all, I mean, they've, they've changed, changed the way I do things. They've given me a lot of advantage to be able to hunt more puppies at a time and, you know, have just more control and, and less, less time wasted, 
looking for dogs that fell out or pick them up, you know, whatever it mm-hmm. is. But, you know, I, I truly believe it's changed. And I mean, that's kind of the, that's kind of, the, I guess everybody kind of, I hear a lot of guys complain, you know, or saying it's changed everything. And I, and I think it's for the good, but ultimately my dogs are safer because of it too. I mean, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You know, Can't take I've that away. Dogs. Yeah. When, when I first, I was kind of late getting into the Garmin game. Everybody else had them for three, four years. And I had honestly just to finally been able to afford some, you know, radio telemetry, some Johnson scholars and had that for a couple of years before the, before the, the, uh, Garmin's came out. And, uh, and, so it was kind of more of a money issue actually. And I was kind of a little skeptical on the battery life. Everybody was, you know, and, and I was skeptical on the, um, on them, but I ended up bumping along with, with another fella one time that had one and was pretty impressed. We had, uh, we'd actually ended up catching, catching a cat and a pup and had left the tree, you know? And, uh, but you could tell looking at a Garmin, you could tell, where it was treated it was out of hearing where where over the ridge where it had happened and here this pup comes back well we kind of knew well it took us a while to get there sure enough that cat was still in that tree and and we got a uh we got 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 a couple dogs going and anyway we were able to still capitalize on that situation and get some pups started on that same cat mm-hmm. that otherwise you would have just not had any chance you know what i mean you wouldn't have yeah. known exactly yeah. where to go and wouldn't know what happened and I was like, man, this is a pretty, pretty impressive tool. Well then anyway, it was a couple of years later. I still didn't get them. And, uh, I ended up turning loose 10, 12 miles, um, off the, off the highway. And, uh, on this dumb little cat, I finally found in the afternoon and, and she was, is just a little, little sub adult cat, but it had been traveling apparently. And the conditions were pretty poor. And I kept going up the next drainage to, to hear they were heading kind of towards the highway but like i said we were 12 miles as the crow flies wasn't too worried about it i i 12 miles as the crow deep. flies and 20 miles by foot up and down yeah well and mostly <laughs> there's several there was yeah and there was a couple different roads but you in order to get they, they just kept going out of hearing so i'd go down to the next drainage i'd work my way back in there hike up to where i could hear i kept getting beeps and they were heading down but but uh, I couldn't hear them, so I'd drive to the town. Well, this went on all day, and I was just looking for dogs, you know. Anyway, that stupid lion ended up treeing on the bank of the – on the in, in a tree 10 feet off the, you know, the, the line of the highway. <laughs> and I didn't find them dogs until into the dark. And when I did, a really nice blue tick walker female I had at the time. She was only three years old, I guess, but she was a superstar already, and – she was creamed right there mm. on the edge of the highway. Yeah. Another little dog, little tree in. And mm. I said to myself, I said, that would have never happened with GPS. It just wouldn't have, you know? And right. That's when I finally bucked down. And I actually bought a used system to start with because that's what I could afford. And kid was getting rid of dogs and got a two or three collars and ran them with, with my telemetry for a long time. And of course, now I that's all I run, but, but, uh, it, it really did teach me a lesson that, um, you know that that's what's so so powerful i i I run races pretty close to railroads and we got highways and railroads and rivers and everything else and just lots of other challenges and it allows you to navigate those with some control yeah and uh yeah i'm not able to 
I'm not a technology is from the devil type guy. You know, I'm not, I'm not that guy. No. I just, I just look at no, it. No, and I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I'm not either. And, and, uh, but, but there's also, it, it's kind of allowing, um, and this isn't a bad thing either. I'm not by any means knocking it, but because to each his own, but, um, you know, I've been around a few dogs that don't, uh, I, I was something along the side of a, of, um, of a fellow that, uh, got a few dogs, they run silent and, uh, game catching dogs, meat dogs for sure. You know, nothing wrong with them, but without a tracking system, you don't know, have a clue where them dogs are at. Yeah. And, uh, and in, in big country, you know, where you, you know, they, those dogs were opening up on a jump and, uh, and I got to walk to a few trees that those dogs didn't did a great job, but that, the you know, it, I, I have always really valued a big, beautiful ball mouth dog. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's really because I was, I think it just, it was formative in me that a hound needs to be honest about its location. And, and then also just really notice too, behind those dogs, it's terribly difficult to train pups behind them dogs like that. You bet. Um, um, some pups are pretty good about just trailing up a dog and staying in the, in the action if they know those dogs and they'll, they'll, they'll track a dog for a while. The type of dogs I got that typically, they don't like tra- trailing dogs, if they, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And well, so, so it's hard to keep them in those races if, if you're running silent dogs, but those, I see a lot of guys all talking about how much they love their silent dogs. And, and, and like I, like I said, I, I can really see some advantages to it. Um, I think you'd shorten up some races, um, in our country, those dogs will get ahead and get up, get away, get by himself and ambush a lion all by themselves. And, and that's kind of problematic, um, silent trailing dogs. But I really feel like the, the GPSs have made it to where people are actually breeding for, for that style of dog and finding good success with that style of dog mm-hmm. where 20 years ago, man, that, that was, that wasn't worth nothing to you. Well, let me ask you this. So did did you hunt some of the same? What traits did you see after you after you put a GPS on your dog, on your on your pack? What did you learn about the individual dogs? This is something that came up last week, and we we're talking about what if we had a time machine and went back and we could put a GPS, the new Garmin, whatever it is, tracking system on a one of these legendary hounds, what will we actually learn about that hound? What did you learn about your dogs once you started using GPS? You know, I think, I mean, obviously, uh, obviously you learn, I don't know. Now it's so, it's so, um, second nature that you can, you can kind of fix a race. Um, you know what I mean by that is, as when, when there's a bad lose or a big patch of bare ground, you can you kind of see the direction of travel and I can go hike ahead and get, get ahead and maybe get them dogs back in that. Now you can do that normally. Um, but it just really gives you that line of, of travel. Um, so, but, but what I, I guess I like seeing those, those, those spots where those pups are the first ones finding those, those loses. You can see, you know, he really gives you a, a feeling on who's me too and and who's doing the work that's um, right there you go you know it, it allows you to really see those those dogs those dogs that are spending time you know um you know make when they do make a big lose on a on a corner on a on a button hook on a bobcat or something how much backtracking they have to do before they figure out where it left you know it just gives you that sense about 
about each dog's strengths and weaknesses um, so that you can, you can kind of help orchestrate and work them through those strengths and weaknesses. I um, pretty, pretty valuable that way. Yeah. I tell you what, I, I, I'll tell you what I learned. So I had a dog that, that he was a good coon dog and I even did some, some winning with him in competition, but uh, he would shut up on the tree and occasionally he'd just, he'd just get quiet and it wasn't a, it wasn't a major problem. But when I got my first Garmin and put it on him and I'm sitting there and I'm watching the screen and he goes silent, then he starts, starts showing movement. So he was actually coming off that tree and milling around in there. Now he knew that when I got close, he was going to be, you know, to be belly up on there. But when, sure. when I wasn't there, then he was down and he was making, you know, he was just checking and screwing around and doing yeah. things like that, which is unacceptable. So it humbled me a little bit because here's my coon dog that had done some winning in competition. And when I got yeah. a Garmin, I'm like, Hmm, okay. And then I saw things yeah. in pups, you know, that I, that I wouldn't have been able to see prior to, but I don't know. It was just a, just a, we didn't get on here to talk about GPS, but it's, it's a funny, <laughs> it's a funny thing when you, yeah. you start thinking, yeah. I wonder how good those old legendary hounds would have actually been if the guy the guy that was hunting them would have had that technology to be able to look at them and and really zero in on what they were doing how they would have changed things how they would have you know modified things or or whatever i just houndsman xp is very proud of our partnership with the organization freedom hunters Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. It is, it is. And, you know, I uh, I think of some of that same type of stuff. You know, for me, I, I just, I, it's valuable in the fact it really tells the story for what it is. And it allows you to really be honest with what's happening, not necessarily, you know, because um, there is a tendency when a feller's got leashes and and dogs to to kind of, you know, you've you've always you've hunted with the fella who who knows exactly everything that went on, you know, and you know I'm talking about even hunting with guys before any of this technology, you know, and I used to <laughs> I used to there's a few guys that I used to just give a lot of grief to because you know they knew exactly what happened when something got screwed up you know oh you know what happened is your dog did this and that you know they 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 project as if they know everything that's going on well with them with them callers though you really do um you can tell that oh that's that's where that race got started and started a trash race and it was that pup that started it and everybody else kind of failed along for a ways and quit or whatever it was right. you know what i mean yeah. but there you go there's no denying yeah there's no denying who did what and and how it happened so you know i <laughs> it, it's definitely kind of a truth a truth teller for sure 
and if you're honest with yourself and you're honest with your dogs, it, it allows you to, to make changes and, and uh, learn how to handle those dogs in a, in a way that's going to let them find more success for sure. I'll so, tell you what is amazing too, though, and this isn't, this is a, a shout out or giving credit to some of the guys that, and I was one of them that, that hunted before GPS, but I don't, I was a young kid that didn't know a whole lot and thought I knew a lot more than I did. But, uh, these, you know, the guys that hunted that could tell you that did know, you know, they knew what was going on with that dog. It's like, man, that is not, that bark is not right. And yeah. I think he just bumped a Fox, you know, just from listening to it, take off the way he took off or he, he bumped a deer or whatever. And they knew yeah. what was going on. I'm Tritronics, the shot collar, you know, the, the e-collar has been out for man since the early 80s at least maybe the yeah, late 70s it. yeah and yeah, the and those guys were use, using it effectively to to correct behaviors and stop trash races and and different things and they never had a gps you know no. they were doing it all by ear and it's pre-telemetry too i when we started hunting we didn't even have we didn't even have beep beeps you know no telemetry it was just shoe leather and listen to them go and maybe it was uh tennis shoes and run them down yep absolutely well and i think i think the, the wonderful thing about that though and this is back and kind of to conclude the, the talk about gps and the benefits or, or, or the negatives I, I i feel like you know i find myself you know um not you know, not necessarily always putting down as many boot tracks as I ought to, because I know they're going to make a loop and come back. Right. Right. But, but you do miss, you do miss out. So I kind of have to intentionally just start hiking and go and look for kills and, and, and be close enough to, to, to correct, you know, while you're in there and, and, and help, help something or, or be there when it happens. And you just get to see so many, so many cool things when you're out in the woods and not sitting at the pickup, you know? Yeah. And, uh, so, so I just think, you know, your dog so much better if you're staying close enough that you can hear them and you're, you're staying right with them. And I don't know that. Yeah. I, I've always enjoyed that side of running my hounds. And so, but, but I find myself, I have to like intentionally make myself do it because you don't necessarily always need to do it now to be successful. And, and, and actually sometimes it can be a, you know, a disadvantage because you're, you're three, you know, you're a couple hours, you end up a couple hours from your pickup you know, where if you would have just stayed put, you could have drove pretty close kind of thing. So, yeah. so I don't know. There's, there's definitely advantages, but man, it's, to me, it's still so satisfying to be able to hear the race. I, if I, my dogs go out of here, I just got to get to where I can hear them, you know? Yep. And, uh, yep. I think that's a good way to, you know, that's a good way to end in this part of the, the conversation. Yeah. You know, I mean, you, you just told us why, you should put the Garmin down occasionally and get out there. It, it improves your, it, it improves your abilities as a houndsman to know what's going on. I mean, if it, if just because you play call of duty on Xbox doesn't make you a Navy seal, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the key is too, is just not letting it control how you hunt. I mean, use it as a, as a tool and use it to help you, but yeah. don't let it dictate your, you know, what you do and, and make sure you're enjoying hounds for what they are and make sure you're still breeding for real voices. And, do you, you know, and <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, do you still but, carry uh, a compass? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. It, like you said, though, hunting the mountains, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, I'm lost as a, as can be down in the flatlands and river bottoms and stuff. I, I get all scared, but I, you know, being in, being in, being in the hills, you, I don't know. I just, yeah, I guess that's just what I know, but, uh, I get scared um, when I look, look into some of those drainages and the hounds are down there. I get scared when I start thinking about having to walk out of there. You know, that's when I, get, <laughs> yeah. that's when I get scared. I'm like, Ugh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely, uh, you know, I always ask myself, I, I, I'm not the smartest all the time. I tend to turn loose pretty late in the day. And, and then it doesn't hit you until you're hiking out of them places in the dark and you're thinking, what am I doing? You know, but, <laughs> but I'm struck late, gotta go. So what do you yeah. do? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about, tell us about, uh, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk no, about? I, Oh, it's uh, it's it's good. Uh, we catch you up too a little bit on that um, lion study we've been fortunate enough to be a part of. Um, um, we talked about that last time, and uh, this this season, you know, in order to do that study well, um, it, it, it does take pretty decent conditions. I um, I don't know if you want to talk about that, but oh yeah, the line the line study absolutely. So you sent me some information. We had this discussion a couple of weeks ago about you know, the study you've been involved in and it just, it in, intrigues me, but, um, so give us an update yeah. on the, on the line study, where you guys are at in the study and, and just recap some of the goals that you're trying to accomplish with this particular study you've been involved in Casey. Yeah, for sure. So <laughs> I guess to complete that, or I'll, I'll catch you back up to that thought in a minute, but, um, so the study, it's, it's a population monitoring um, study and it's kind of the only one of its kind. Um, nobody's really ever tried doing it before cause it's, it's difficult, you know, it's not an easy, you know, anybody who's, you know, any biologists that know, you know, know that it's, it's, it's hard to, to really, um, pinpoint. And, and most of that work in, in most species now is kind of getting taken over in just computer modeling and they don't really do as much on the ground work. And, um, um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of, it's kind of a cool thing that Montana is willing to put forth the effort to try to, to do this. And, and there's a few scientists that have, you know, put, put together all the science behind it. Um, they tested that model for several years and, um, and like anything, you know, I don't, you know, what they do with the data is all of course out of our control. Um, but, but this particular deal, what, what they're trying to do is, is, they've broken up the state into um, eco regions where basically the habitat um, kind of dictates lion densities, if you will. Right. Um, in other words, you know what I mean? So different, different types of terrain, obviously they're going to have and, and different, you know, densities of ungulates. They're going to be able to support more or less lions kind of based on their, you know, the ecology of that region. So they've kind of broke down the state more based on the topo topography and vegetation and elevation and, 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 in ungulates. So that's broken the Western part of the state into basically three eco regions is what they're calling them lion eco regions. And then within those regions, there's, there's two different study areas within each of those three regions. So there's six study areas to total. Okay. And, uh, so you, you enter 
so we've been in eco region one here the last two years and uh last year was the the main study area for eco region one so that gives you a baseline data um in for for that and then there's kind of a i can't think of the right word but it's um you know a check a check area another area to kind of um make sure your your data is accurate so it's a just so we're moved to another um another piece of ground it'd be the upper clark fork um and that all that country there um up against the, the idaho border mm-hmm. yeah and it was it's 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 quite a bit different um it's not necessarily different eco region wise but it is a it has its own different you know peculiarities um it's it's managed through a different management system if you will they have some uh, um a hybrid season in there where so to preface that the lions are managed in in region the northern part of region eco region one through drawing only so you have to draw a tag to be able to harvest a mountain lion right okay a lot of the state is managed under just quota systems you can buy an over-the-counter tag and you can harvest a, a lion um as long as that quota hasn't been met in that in that unit once that unit fills its quota that area is closed, closed well yeah yeah, this particular area is unique in the fact that they've got it on a what they call a hybrid. So in other words, basically it's still on a drawing. You draw a tag, but after um, about at February first, it opens to uh, or it turns into a quota basically, and any legal tag holder then can come in and, and harvest. Uh, or you know, you can buy an over the counter tag. Yeah, and Gen- you can general the- season. Yeah, it, it just turns into a general quota um, managed area. So it's so that's that's changes the harvest, you know, quite a bit in that area. Um, it turns into kind of a rat race once that opens up, it, you know, and they, you know, I mean, I, I guess from a from an ungulate standpoint, they they were trying to take more predators out of that area, and that's why they went to that, and and it does definitely have that effect on that particular zone. They take. They harvest a lot more cats out of there. How many how many With, lines are you talking about taking to fill that quota for that region? Well, yeah. So it's bust. You know, it's broke down into several different units. Um, with like even the study area that we were working in, there was it kind of represented several different hunting units. Um, I think I think it, I think the quota in that area, which I'm trying to give you. A, give you just give know, us an average just maybe, an average per yeah probably, let's just say like 30 miles that that study area is maybe 30 miles wide um by probably 50 miles long something mm-hmm. like that maybe even a little bit bigger than that and it's pretty much 90 percent of that's actually forest service and state ground so it's pretty accessible um they harvest close i think their quota in there ends up being like like 50 lions harvested out of that area mm. and i think they they met they i i, I should have looked and paid attention closer but i think i think they met their quota they may have been one or two cats off in one unit in there um and and most of that ends up being outfitted uh animals so mm-hmm. um that are taken during that hybrid season so is it broken down so, between so the, males and females uh, male and female quotas yep. so once you reach the female quota the unit closes or how does that work um, no they just have a specific male and a female quota so okay you know let's just stay in, in this particular corner 
this unit, you can harvest seven females and, and six males or, or, or vice versa. You know, they have, um, but, but, so it might be close to males, but you can still harvest a female there. Mm-hmm. Um, or close to females, you can harvest a male. Right. So, right. Okay. so they, 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 yeah, so they, 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 they harvest, uh, or they, um, they're pretty hands-on, I guess, which, which <laughs> I've always kind of been somewhat critical with the state of Montana and the fact that they, I've always said that they try to manage lions with a scalpel, you know, um, and, and using the tool of a houndsman, you can kind of be that way. You can dictate this many females, this many males, you can really tinker with a, a population and, and, but it seems like the tendency is to always kind of keep tinkering, you know, this year they want you to kill males. Next year they want you to kill females. It's kind of like a big pendulum swing. They mm-hmm. want you to take a bunch a year and then they, Oh, we don't want to take any. And, <laughs> that's being a little critical on them, but um, it seems like to me that most states that kind of have a more relaxed feel that kind of balances itself out, you know, um, you end up having a fairly even harvest of females, adults, um, toms, and uh, and it, it kind of all finds, it kind of works its way out. Um, now, some years, it just depends on the pressure there, you know, um, some years it, it can be even as much as one or two hunters. Right. can really affect the, the quota in a unit you know if you got a guy who doesn't care and and he's got a bunch of buddies that have tags and he's got four weeks off of work at the right time when the weather's good they'll go in there and slaughter a bunch of you know sub adults and females and really affect that particular unit for a few years um you know but then you have other guys that are pretty selective and and you know my my take on it is it's you know even as houndsmen i think guys get a little bit too worried about it too critical as far as you know they'll, they'll shame some guy for shooting a, a big female or something and mm-hmm. and and wrong i mean if i'm going to harvest a cat i'm going to harvest a good lion but if it's a legal lion and it was done in the right way um and it's and it's meeting harvest objectives and then there's nothing wrong with with harvesting a female out of there you know what i mean so uh, anyway, that kind yeah, of yeah, I, I agree with you. And a couple things you you said a couple things there. You know, one is uh, the benefits of using hounds for this scientific data collection, this biological data collection. You know, I've thought about this a lot. So that is why, and I've used this argument. I just used it on the Nevada issue when I wrote a letter, um, to them, you know, you need houndsmen on the landscape because they provide valuable scientific data to you, the wildlife managers, you're making the rules and you need that houndsman that can provide you with this data to manage that resource properly. And the flip side to that is, you know, all these people want to run out and, and talk about, let's get rid of hounds, let's get rid of hounds, let's get rid of hounds. But but we know, and the biologists know, how valuable they are. So if, if we make this a barbaric, antiquated method for hunting because we're basing it on emotion and all this stuff, where are the professionals, the biologists, going to find the houndsmen to do the work that they need done? They're not going to exist. Yep. No, and I mean they'll exist in in forms of just contracted, you know, um, depredation hunters. I mean, 
um, you know, you look at states that have lost their. But you know how their, that goes, Casey. You you know how that yeah. goes, though. I mean, so say you were a contracted hunter. You're a government contracted hunter. Are you going to share what you know with right. other houndsmen, or are you going to share what your your breeding practices and make that general knowledge? Not if you're making, you know, if that's your absolute livelihood. I, I don't see that happening. Human nature tells no. me that that won't happen. So eventually that contracted hunter is going to become he's going to get old. He's going to get fat. Yeah. He's going to get lazy. He's going to lose dogs. You know, he can't, he can't maintain a strain of dogs by himself, uh, in a way that, that can make his hounds. You lose dogs. Where are you going to replace them? How are you going to replace them? Yeah. No. And, and there, there, there's obviously validity in that, but I, I think, you know, I think from the legislative level, you know, it's such a goofy and it's, it's such a, a crazy argument you look at states like california or, or other states that have lost their their lion hunt hunting or, or bears um and uh they're still getting harvested you know there's still depredation hunters out there doing it they're doing it you know with the taxpayer dollars though they're not doing it you know they're, they're not you know the the, the hunters Absolutely. are willing to yeah. and pay to do it and you know and so it's a, it's such a goofy thing because these people that think they're saving the, the animals, the, the predators are still being managed because they need to be managed. You know, they still cause problems. There's still incidences. There's, you know, there's a rise in incidences, obviously, but, right. um, you know, and, and Washington dealt with that. Oregon's dealt with that. And, um, so, you know, there's a definitely, uh, but I, I, I see what you're saying too, in regards to, you're not going to, the guys aren't going to be there eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you know, those guys, they're able to draw from other states that do have good dogs and guys are, you know, so those depredation hunters are, are keeping going because they're able to, um, um, purchase dogs out of other states, but, but yeah, but yeah that's, the, that's the key right there. But if they, so California, you can't hunt there, but guys yeah. are still, you know, they're still hanging on. There's still a good solid group of houndsmen yeah. there, but eventually if we keep whittling this thing down, you know, go find an Irish setter that can retrieve a bird now. You know what I mean? Um, because yep. people will start getting away from the hunting purpose of our hounds and then use it for, you know, a pet breed or something like that. And then what are we going to do? And yeah. we may, we may, and there the other, the, go ahead. I can, I can go off on a tangent oh, on I this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you that. No, uh, I, I think it is, um, it's it's valuable to note though too that the the managers and the biologists recognize the value of of the hound you know groups um now obviously there's bad apples in all of them that are a problem but by and large you know it's the legislative level that that we have to continue to to inform and and share because you know it, and and not in all states necessarily and not in all departments but um we've been fortunate here in montana to have a pretty good relationship with the managers now there's times that they do things that we're we don't like you know and and they don't by any means um you know there's been times especially us as hounds when we're always advocating you know for for the lions you know they're wanting right. more harvested and we we squawk pretty you know and they they know good and well that if they're going to start raising you know, lion quotas and stuff that, that the houndsmen are going to throw a fit. Um, 
but but we do we don't necessarily have a problem with the managers i guess is what i'm saying as a general right. whole right uh, well these states the problems and i would and i would venture to say that there was some logical you know you know free thinking um biologists and managers in those states that were were frustrated to see that tool for management disappear mm-hmm. because legislative out of their toolbox you know because they don't have any way to to you know to 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 accurately manage and and that kind of comes back to you know to to this tool in regards to research um for this study you know it, well, be, it's definitely before, it, before it, you it, get it, off before you get off of that you know that point you just made wildlife management is a lot of different parts and you know like you can use computer models when you have accurate harvest data. Um, you know, take white-tailed deer, for instance. Easiest thing because everybody checks in deer and all that stuff for for everybody to understand. Um, took me a few years of hunting in Montana to understand the hybrid and the quota and, and how that all rolls out. But, but when you look at white-tailed deer, they can't – every deer is checked in. So it's broken down by here. It's broken down by county. So they they take that. They take the number of car deer accidents. They take the number of you know several different different numbers to come up with what is the bag limit for that animal in that area. So you know that's that's why that's something that California lost in their management tools is that harvest data that they don't have anymore so they don't know how many lines they have yeah yeah and and just you know and there's a lot of other methods that they use to to track data you know they're doing a lot of you know camera trap type stuff they're doing a lot of doing other dna with hair samples you know and things like that but but lines are just tough to manage i mean they're tougher they're tough to you know determine they're reclusive Um, they're difficult and 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 so much of that harvest data it, it is important and then they value that I'm sure. And for years that's been their only real tool is like, okay, so we gave out, you know, or we allowed 12 animals to be harvested in this particular unit and they closed that quota in. I mean, but it doesn't, doesn't necessarily mean that it might be that that's, you know, that particular drainage or, or that particular unit, um, it just so happens that, you know, a guy. You know, from another part of the state to hunt with him that week, and they all had tags. Because of that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that there was an overabundance of lions, but maybe the access was incredible in there and. And so 80% of the lions in that unit got, got harvested maybe, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. yep. there's yeah. just too many factors that, affect, that affect that particular thing. Now I, I think in deer hunting, other things, there are things that are more of those things are even. Um, but with, with cat hunting specifically, you know, ter- you know, weather plays an enormous role in, in the success of the, of the, um, and, and that changes from year to year to year. Right, and so you can't 
let me just say that last year they closed it in four weeks and this this year they closed it in in six days and so must be a ton more lions in there this year it doesn't right. necessarily work that way right how many lions have you <clears> seen how in in the wild not not in trees like crossing the road or just out how many mountain lions have you seen casey um you know i've seen quite a few but i've also um you know, I've worked in the woods most of my life, so yeah. and I'm always driving three, four in the morning, so I see them crossing highways and things like that. But I've probably seen six or eight myself um, um, in the wild. I was trying to think a few of those I've seen while I was lion hunting, and you know, didn't have any dogs down, but just saw them. Um, yeah, it's just yeah. always it's always a, a unique thing because it is. Because people, of, as many of, hours as many hours that you spend cutting timber yeah. in the woods, driving to and from those job sites, the number of hours you spend in the mountains looking for lions, lion tracks, lions, yeah. and everything. You know, we're talking less than a dozen. In how many years? In yeah, twenty. 21 years so you know i'm gonna take us down a goat path here or rabbit path here real quick but i used when i was working i would have people call me and tell me that they saw uh mountain lions saw cougar here in indiana and uh see him every and well i had one guy tell me one time it's like i see him every morning when i go to work (laughs) and i'm like and i always tell him i was like do you realize there's people that live in where they're, they're, they actually have mountain lions, a lot of them, you know, yeah, a lot. that don't see them. So I think you're seeing somebody's lab up in their <laughs> yard. He, and yeah. this one guy's like, are you trying to tell me I don't know what a mountain lion looks like? I said, no, I'm trying to tell you you don't know what a Labrador looks like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or uh, I'm not questioning what you think you saw. It's just, uh, you know, there may have been, there may have been some, uh, uh, you know, hallucinogenics involved possibly too you never know i mean there's a lot of there's a lot of bigfoot sightings too so yeah, absolutely uh, absolutely you know. so i i, I and i think that to, to preface that too is i live in the most lion dense part of the you know world, probably of the lower 48 really so um or one of the, the more dense yeah. and so so that numbers is also altered by by that factor right right uh, well, give us a real um, quick rundown on on uh, the thirty thousand foot view of of what you're trying to accomplish with this study and what you have accomplished so far, and how many more, you, how much longer you're going to do it. Yeah, so, yeah. So to get back to that a little bit, um, um, we so we this year in the the you know the second uh, secondary study area within that ecoregion one. Um, and so they'll be able to have some comparison between those two, two areas. Um, like I said, they're managed a little bit different, but, um, but, but basically the same, the same format is applied each, each season, you know, as far as search effort to, you know, all the data you, you, you acquire is based on search effort and then, um, capture recapture. So, which, which is basically a matter of, um, you know, some of these animals will get sampled more than once. Now I'm talking about taking a DNA sample. So, right. uh, so you work your way through this area more than one time, you know, with, with, with real thorough search effort in an organized fashion, it, it does have some levels of randomness built into it and stuff too. And, and, but, but the whole point is then the managers can then take that data 
and they can start to track trends. You know, we, yeah, um, so there's two years spent in Unica Region 1, which is in the northwest part of the state. Um, there'll be two years spent in Unica Region 2, which is kind of the central, western and um, part of the state. And then in the south, southwest part of the state, Unica um, Region 3, there'll be two different years spent down there, and then it'll cycle back again. Um, and then they can, they can kind of re-enter as they, they may not do it every year. They may, but they can re-enter those same study areas, do the exact same thing and be able to kind of track patterns and, um, and, um, be able to, you know, help make good management decisions based on, uh, you know, on actual data. So not just on hunches. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's all yeah. good stuff, man. I'm glad, yeah. I'm, I'm glad you're involved in that Casey because you're you're invested in it and I think you probably you believe in what you're doing you're a good houndsman too so that's why you're on houndsman XP because you're a good houndsman <laughs> well, I don't know about that we've uh it's been a it's been a fun thing it, it's there's a lot of neat aspects to the, the type of work for one it kind of gets me out of my own backyard and and pushes me into some new areas and like this was completely new I well I to take that back I'd hunted down there a few times but it's you know where I'm at right now is three four hours away from the house and and uh, you know there's good it's good hunting it's different a lot of it's steep and nasty here and I don't know it it, it wasn't like all 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 uh, you know roses and unicorns down there for sure but lots of lots of areas there's quite a few houndsmen hit it and and uh, they harvest a lot of cats so cats that are there we're getting we're, I, there are a lot of runners now we've had a lot of hard running cats i think have been messed with a lot and it's rough enough country that those cats if they want to run hard they're, they're going to get away from most dogs and so um so that was interesting you know just a different dynamic there but yeah it makes you go explore a new place every day and and so you know That's excited cool. about that yeah what? and 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 you, know, and you get to see so many other other cool things um do you learn anything species. about your dogs taking them into that taking them taking them into that area like that you learn anything about yeah yeah for sure you know and and, <laughs> and anybody who who hunts a lot of different areas it if you if you've hunted specifically and you know let's just say within a couple hours of you your whole life you know you get real familiar with a lot of that country and there's just a, a level of confidence and a little you know when you can drive down the road and you caught one there and you caught one there you know there's lots of memories and there's something a little intimidating at first about diving into this big, ugly, rocky, nasty place and, and thinking, what am I getting into? And you don't know where the wolves are, you know, you, you don't know, you know, you don't know the, you know, the temperament of those packs of wolves that are in those areas where you've kind of learned that in your own area. Um, yeah. so, so there's a, you know, and, and, and access, you know, you don't know, you know, it shows a road on your map or it shows a trail on your map, but you know, you don't know how good that is or if it's accessible. And so, um, so yeah, that, that kind of adds a level of, um, but I, but I enjoy that, I guess, I guess I like that. It's the adventure part. Yeah, absolutely. That's the cool thing is it's adventurous, you know, you know, you, I I, kind of chuckled a little bit when you said, you know, guys hunting within two hours of their house, you kind of learn the, and to put this in perspective a little bit, you know, everything's two hours away out there. It's it, it, the country's huge. So it's going to take yeah. you a while to what's that loop, the loop that goes from roads draw that goes up by, 
Bitterroot Lake. It goes up through that country, goes up by, yeah. go up through Tally Lake and come all yep. the way around and you come into Marion. Yeah, you can go up up through Griffin Creek and, and then down through Star Meadows and all that country. Yeah, I mean, West Lope, on, on yeah. Bear, Bear Roads, you know, just on gravel this past summer, last summer, you know, I did that loop a couple times and it would take me a good hour and a half, two hours of just, you know, just dr- driving that road. So that's, that's on gravel, not, let alone yeah. this. I'm not, not chaining up. I'm not trying to bust drifts. I'm not trying to. So, but around here, you know, if, if we've got places like that, 30 minutes, you know, if I hunt 30 minutes away from my house, then, you know, I'm hunting new territory or territory I don't normally hunt. So it's it's yeah. inter- it's always interesting to have that that perspective of how yeah. how you guys hunt out there. What's crazy too is like you know this country, there's you know it's all been logged. Um, there's a lot of logging access, and so a lot of that stuff's getting gated, gated up. And there's different access into some of it, some better than others. But uh, um, if you can hunt you know, you could hunt for five years and darn near hit different roads every day and within two, three hours of the house and never cover it all. Like, like, you know, I mean, if you're willing to get out and not just keep going down the same roads and the same main roads, if you really cover it, it's, it, it's hard for people to grasp how much real estate there is. And, it's unbelievable. And yeah. And it's, and it's, it's a wonderful thing. Um, it's also why, we can have a lot of houses in this country and everybody can get along well is because if you bump into somebody, you just go somewhere else. If you see tire tracks going down that way, you just, you know, you go somewhere else. And so we were able to do that a lot here and and that, you know, that, that not everybody gets to do that. A lot of places, man, there's kind of one main road up each, each drainage. And if those have been hit, you know, um, you know, or unless you have some good private access or something like that, it, um, you can you can have way too many houses in a real hurry. Everybody feels like they're in each other's way. So, yeah, you get down towards you know Condon down there in that Swan Valley. If if you're trying to hunt from the road, you you run out of you run out of places to go pretty quick. Yeah, uh, unless yeah. you can get you know off on a sled or on you know a track track side by side and get up in there, you usually can can get away from it. And but you know just three different groups of houndsmen trying to run that Swan Valley down through there you're going to run into somebody and and uh yeah up there up there where you're at you got all the road access all over the country it's it's pretty awesome yeah it's good i mean you know (laughs) like like, uh like everybody says in there and it's like when you know you know you still bump into people for sure but uh but that really does help I, i know a lot of areas that have more like hunter confrontation or trouble because every time it feels like it's their spot or or whatnot and um um that mostly have to do just the tougher access for sure yeah. so yeah yeah you had to bump back the, back 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 up a little bit there to that study um next year um the plan is to be you know it's starting into that eco region too so another new piece of real estate and and uh, so hopefully still be a part of that and yeah, keep on going, but it's kind of winding down for this season. Um, on the study, I, I'm supposed to head down there here for a few days um, this week, and 
but it's kind of been bare ground and everything's bared off. All the games down in the bottom, you know, so there's a lot of snow up high, but there's nothing in any of that. And, mm-hmm. um, so they've been snowmobiling through a lot of that, trying to, trying to get through it to prove it out that there's nothing there. Um, and that particular area, you know, we don't feel quite as good. We, you know, if we know the area and we know what's going on, you know, we, we don't mind rodent dogs and, and getting something going, but it, it doesn't really necessarily always bear forth the right data. If that makes any sense. I mean, we can go and hit the crossings and, and get a cat caught. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes if that's within your, your given area to go do that works fine. But, but we can't just go and it's not like we're just going and hitting all the good spots. You know what I mean? You got to <laughs> so, check the bad spots too. Yeah. And yeah. so if you're going to thoroughly road, you still got to thoroughly road through 85 miles of nothing mm-hmm. to be able to prove out that there's nothing there if there's no snow. And, and, and so we do do that sometimes if it, if it, if it works, but the biggest challenge we have is in this time, this time of year, the moles are getting more territorial towards their den sites and in country that you don't know wolves that you don't know, you're kind of asking for problems doing some of that. So you've got all the wolves tamed down around Marion is what you're saying. Well, no, not by any means, but, but I've had a few <laughs> killed, had a few killed in the first of April, rodent dogs in the dirt and, yeah. and not know what I get into. So, um, um, so do you have any, do, do any of your hounds rig, can they will they rig a lion out of the box when you're yeah on the yeah, road? Uh, yeah for sure you know we um you know things have to be right you know you got to have conditions have to be right you know age of that track's got to be right and mm-hmm. wind's got to be right community's got to be right but um if, if it, it you know if, if it's there and the sense available um dogs do rig pretty well so um it's it's funny i've traveled to other places and and, uh, and some of those places, those dogs, uh, I, I, I truly believe that, you know, so much of that is, is due to, to those, to specifically to certain areas, you know, and, and, uh, um, dogs have struggled, struggled to strike in certain areas and some places they strike like it's nothing. So mm-hmm. humidities and pressure and, and just, just, uh, all that makes a difference, but it's not necessarily always the most accurate now i'm not saying that the right guys with the right dogs might have better you know by me by all means better strike dogs mm-hmm. my dogs strike like when it's good you know yeah um and they they sift and sort you know pretty well but uh and i've had better strike dogs in the past that were you know really really cold strike dogs um um but back to the same thing and i love doing that that's the most fun thing in the world to me is roading and rigging yeah starting stuff in the, but just being in the woods this time of year is a wonderful you know it's just a nice time of the year but um back to the whole thing with the study it doesn't necessarily always bear out real accurate information you know data so mm-hmm. so they kind of they kind of steer us away from that um if we're successful and consistent then they, they've been letting us keep going with that but um it does kind of you know it we're going to have the most accurate data if we've got good snow to, to tell what we're doing. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, Casey, what kind of dogs you, uh, you, you're a, you're a student of breeding and I always, that's how I always describe you to anybody I talk to. You always, uh, look a little deeper than, than 
and a little farther out than just what you've got on hand. You're always planning two or three generations down the road, it seems like. So what what is the most important trait that you want in your house? Well, I think, you know, we've kind of lived this before a bit, but I think, too, you know, um, desire is obviously, um, you know, the most important thing. Um, we've talked about, and I think that needs to go alongside of brains, but um, I, I, we're, we're pretty, I don't know, I kind of feel like I'm kind of a little bit too picky at times because I kind of want it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that sounds maybe a little greedy because it's not like if I have a dog that's just as really good with one area, it doesn't mean I'm going to be satisfied with it. Um, but boy, if you ever lose desire and heart, um, you know, you, you just got to have dogs. That's what makes dogs that that'll sift and sort the wind for hours on end on the top of the truck or out of the box. And it's the same dogs that'll road and pound and, and still be searching, you know, yeah. whether yeah. you're picking up, casting them or, or putting them in front of a rig or in front of a horse, you know, you've got to have those dogs that are constantly looking and, and, and have an expectation to find something. Um, um, that's, that's what makes dogs cold in my opinion too. It's that desire to, to work with an infinitesimal amount of scent. Cold nosed. Yep. And, Yo, and, man, and, let's, let's talk about this. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause I, you know, I did that podcast on scent and, um, it seems like other than what kind of dog food do you feed, you know, who has cold nose hounds is the next favorite question that gets yeah. beat to death on, uh, or what is a cold nose hound is the next question that gets beat to death on social media yeah. and the internet. But I, man, it's I'll a tell funny you topic for sure. Oh, well, I was just going to say is that it's a, it's kind of a funny topic too, because I think so many people um, that think they want really, really cold-nosed dogs, they, necessarily, they don't necessarily always. Um, they, they don't necessarily, they're not the kind of guy that wants to be out there grubbing along and not moving much on a bad track and not catching a lot today. Those are, you know, a lot of guys, they want a cold-nosed dog because they, they can't get nothing started with what they got. Well, it's cool to talk about, too. You can't take off, you can't take back the, the cool factor of having, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got the cold nose dog. Yeah. Um, you know, back to the same thing as, you know, dogs that are cold striking dogs, you know, they're not that useful to a lot of, a lot of guys because they're, they're striking, you know, bear scent or cat scent. That's, um, that's, and this is hard for people to understand, but that, that can't be really ran. You exactly. Know, there is a, there's, yes. a, there's a few scent and that dog's going to open and he's going to locate that scent. He might even be the type of dog that'll go all the way to the bottom of the drainage to go find it. And, and he might sift and sort and he might, you might get a few barks out of him down there, you know, but that's not a runnable track. And that same dog might continue and maybe, maybe even take that, what we'll call a non-runnable track. That dog might, that super cold dog with a lot of desire to continue to work it. And, and a handler who's allowed him to learn those traits. And there and it is right to, there. It has allowed him to continue to work and not just pull them out when he can't blow it out of the country mm-hmm. quick. So he's been he's been developed as a cold nosed dog. That dog still then he might he might keep bumping that track for a half mile down that creek in the next hour or two. But you know, but a lot of guys now 
he might just be able to bump it down the creek for an hour or two. And then he gets around the corner and that thing was bedded up and boom, you've got a race and it's treat. Right. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, so that's why we love a cold nosed dog is because it will produce something on those really marginal tracks, right. In those marginal spots. And you'll have something to go run today when everybody else is all the way back at the house already. Yep. So, but, and that's the cool, also, that's the cool factor. Yeah, you know, everybody else but, was back at the house saying, "Oh, we couldn't get anything going," and it's like, "Well, let me tell you a story." You know, there, yeah. there I was <laughs> yeah. at the yeah, bottom of the drainage, and <laughs> snow. You know, the the sun was setting, and old blue kept rolling, and he just pecking <laughs> down the creek, and then boom, I had a jump. Dakota two eight three offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military grade kennel crates uh i got got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house it is super heavy duty it's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel easily fits in the back of an suv or if you're traveling with a camper shell it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling you just gotta check out their dash series this is a watering system and i've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years but this system is all integrated into one unit and the way it's designed out of high impact plastic the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it check them out uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that i can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while i'm out hunting when it's super cold i've had exterior tanks before and as soon as i go to cold climates then i've got to figure out how i'm going to get water to my hounds and the dash takes care of that so check out dakota 283 at dakota283.com and at checkout enter the code hxp10 and get 10 percent off of your order yeah yeah you know the reality of that though is and that does happen you know for sure and you'll get that jump and that dog will, will, you know, carry you through on days when, um, you know, when nothing else could get going, but, but, you know, let's just say, let's just say eight out of 10 of those days though, they end up in the dark down there pulling old blue out of the crick jaw. Cause he's still plugging away on that worthless old track. Okay. And so you're in, instead those, those cold nosed dogs make you miss your daughter's birthday party. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, there you go. <laughs> so, okay. So what, what type of houndsman would you, would you say actually needs a cold nosed dog? Cause I, I hear well, what you're saying and maybe I'll fill in some gaps here yeah, because, because, because most people, most people, it's not, it's not exciting uh, for the most part. I mean, it's not, you're not going to stack up a lot of body counts or, you know, you're not going to have a lot of grip and grins at times. Um, yeah. I know I, I my, my friends in the Southwest, I mean, they're talking about running, running cats for two days, you know, and, and yeah. never catching up to them. Yeah. I think, you know, I, you know, as much as I say, a lot of guys don't really, I love that kind of dog and in their, they're incredibly useful tool. I, part of me has always thought of, a cold nose as a throttle you know it's a, you know, in a pickup if you know 
it, you don't necessarily always have to use it, but it's nice to have it there. The difference is, is having dogs that can grub like that, but they pick their head up and really push. And, yeah. and that's a fine because there's dogs that just love to just plug away and they just, it, you know, and, and it's pretty funny, you know, you hear, read stories and those guys in the Southwest and they talk about having the, the coldest nosed dog they ever had. And, you know, they usually have the lion skinned out and they're ready to pack him out when old, when that old cold nosed dog shows up on that race, you know, and, and, uh, you know, the point being is that, um, I've also heard well, those same guys and, and I've, I've heard those stories, but they'll also recognize that, you know, that dog got them through a lot of problems. You know, the other dogs would have a loss and that dog would yep. keep them rolling. So they keep it around because Absolutely. when everything else goes to nothing, then yeah. he's still going to be there and he's still going to be, he's going to keep on working. He's, you know, yeah. Yeah. My, but, but talking about guys that can, you know, benefit from that, I mean, it's the guys that have to get it done. You know, if, if I, I don't, if, you know, if you're outfitting or, or if you're doing, um, you know, work and it's not just out there having a good day and maybe we trailed the waves and didn't get nothing or didn't get nothing started. I mean, if you got, you got somebody paying you money to get a job done, you need dogs that are, that are going to keep on pounding mm-hmm. and, uh, that allows you to get a direction and maybe, maybe that pounding didn't get you much, but it, it, it gave you a direction and I'm going to cut ahead two, three miles, go cut a ridge or a saddle and, and, and try again there, you know, and, and that's, you know, so there's, you know, I, I, and then there's certain sport guys that just like that style of hunting, you know, the yeah. other guys that benefit from it is the guys that just truly hunt in, in terrible conditions, you know, um, and I'm kind of the, the guy who believes that there's terrible conditions anywhere you go if you hunt on those days. Um, right. You know, so so just because a person, now, there's going to be a lot of difficult trailing days in the desert, you know, um, more difficult days, I should say, in, in the desert and in, in certain parts of the country than, uh, you know, than there is in, in coastal Oregon or something. You and know, you've, hunted, you've con- hunted the desert. I just want to get that out yeah. there so, yeah, but, so that you're not talking, you know, you're talking from experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so really what that, um, but I also have felt like, um, you know, there's some pretty terrible days up here, you know, contrary, you know, to, to everybody's belief that every day is just juicy and perfect and six inches of fluffy snow. Now we get those days and we take full advantage of them. Um, but if you're willing to go every day, then, it's a lot of 60 degree days and, you know, 10 degree nights and freezing and thawing and freezing and thawing and freezing mm-hmm. and thawing. And, and, uh, so some of the same things apply like down there, you know, where you gotta be getting on that track and get it moved across them bare faces before, you know, nine thirty in the morning when the sun hits it, uh, it's just as evaporated as it is down there in, the, in somewhere else, you know what I'm getting at? So, right. Right. Um, um there is times though when I can go and put dogs down on a five day old track and they're going to trail it really well, you know, mm-hmm. because that track's preserved in the perfect environment, you know? Right. And, uh, you know, and so, you know, but there's days that, that I've got a jump lion that I know this track we made a lose on or something. And I found it where it crossed again and I've get dogs on there and I know that stupid thing's only an hour and a half old at max because I just drove through here and those dogs cannot, 
to handle that track, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you're sitting, you're ready to get rid of every dog you got and start over thinking what's going on here, you know, but, uh, but it's just a, it's just the nature of that particular environment, that particular day. So, um, but without that drive, that dog will never yep. figure it out. You know, if if you want to talk about cold nose, I, you take that and you bring what you just described back East here to the coon hunting world and people will look like it, look at you like you have just lost your mind. You know, we don't need a dog that, that is going to run a four hour old coon track. I mean, it's just not needed. We've got, it's so my old partner, Donnie Walson, you know, he said, I'm not out here to stand and I'm out here to look at raccoons. I'm not out here to stand here and, and build fires and keep my feet warm. If my feet are getting cold, <laughs> I'm hunting the wrong dog. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's completely different. And, and I think I was thinking about this the other day. I want to get your take on it. You know, I see a lot of, a lot of houndsmen back here that, you know, talk about the tracking ability of hounds not being present in some of our coonhound breeds in the east and i started thinking you know maybe we're looking in the wrong place for those tracking abilities instead of going you know on this side of the river and looking for that grand night champion maybe we need to be looking out west to some of these hounds that are still very much track oriented type dogs and and trying to you know, maybe not make a complete outcross, but at least, you know, maybe it is a complete outcross, but you can still find family lines of dogs in the West that, that could be helpful. Do you think that you think there's any merit to that? Or if I just, I think, think, I think of these brainless things when I'm, or these things when I'm doing brainless jobs, like cutting firewood or, you know, things like that. My mind wanders off on things like that. Yeah. I, I think, I think in, unless you get to the point where you don't have a lot of coons, you, you know, it's mm-hmm. probably not necessarily necessary because um, back to the whole thing about who needs cold nose dogs is guys hunting in places where they're just flatting that many, that much game. And, you know, cause, cause then you have to be able to capitalize on that one track. I found this week, this week or the last two weeks, then I, I better be able to get something going here with this one, this one, you know, cause Cause there's just not, you know, I'm going to have to wait another two weeks before I get another opportunity. Yeah. Well, I sure want in the try hard, but if you can go around the corner and everywhere you go, there's, there's good scent laying there. You just, you're never going to really need good dogs. And the, probably the most successful dogs are going to be the dogs that go over the, the, the difficult tracks and, and, it, and that, that frees them up and they don't waste the day catching one. And instead they go catch three, you know? Right. Right. You know, so, what, but do you think it would be beneficial for the Eastern coon hunter to research some of the big game lines out West if they're looking for more tracking ability in their house? Oh, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Because like back to the same thing here, you just have to have trailing dogs. You can't get away with average trailing dogs if you're going to be real successful. You know, mm-hmm. you have to have dogs that'll grind and pound and work. And, um, and, you know, and so, so drive and trailing ability and desire, you know, is paramount in really anybody out here that's, that's real successful. So, you know, where, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of interesting too, because, um, 
you know, I always talk, talk, uh, you know, in the, in the blue dogs and I'm by no means, uh, like a, um, a story on it, but, uh, one, one story that was told to me was a fellow that he had bought pups off Albert Vaughn for and his father had, and he can remember being a little kid going to Albert's and picking up pups and, and, you know, and later on, and, and some of these guys that know these lines really, really well can maybe speak to it one way or another, but this fella, he, he ended up always and, and his father always liked the, the buck bred dogs. And, uh, and, they had, he had a brother that was Mac bred dogs and, and Albert in his old age, he liked those Mac bred style dogs because they would go out, catch one, do a nice, beautiful job of it, do it in style. And he'd be home in time to, you know, yeah. and he said, the buck dog going to catch the last frigging track on the mountain and they're not going to quit. They're not going to come home and they're not pleasurable to hunt. And a lot of those buck, type style dogs is what made their way out west because those guys out west they were that's what they wanted mm-hmm. you know and back east and in and in, in areas where there's a lot of game and, and more of a pleasure style of hunting than uh than outfitters and and professional type hunters or or uh you know depredation type work you know those those uh you know but so that the point of that isn't you know um is that there is something for everybody and even what you might have enjoyed when you were young may not be what you enjoy when you're an old man yeah i'm and i'm so, looking at the mac bread type dog yeah. you know go out and do something if i'm going to coon hunt back here i like being yeah. able to be home in time to you know <laughs> yeah yeah exactly. these days well, in a, back in the yeah, day and, i'll t- I'll, I'll get on my high horse back in the day casey you know i was as hard hard going as anybody out there no, seriously, and you're you're right. Um, uh, it's just one of those things that people in different regions have different needs for the type of dog that they hunt, and yeah. there is still a reason to have a dog that can run a track on a raccoon, yeah. even though um, even though it, it's it's maybe not southwest. Arizona, you know, Southwest Arizona style lion hunting. We don't need that much tracking desire and that much drive. And I think that's what really separates those types of hounds from the Eastern coon hound is the Eastern coon hound doesn't need to do that. It's not advantageous right. for us to have that, but there has to right. be a balance there. You can't have a, just a, a tree and idiot that, that, that's all you're breeding for. You still got to have the tracking ability to, you know, run that boar coon in January that's rutting and hitting den trees and, and moving on. And he may, he may hit a dozen den trees in, you know, in a night. And you've got to have a dog that's got the, the drive to figure that out and the nose and the brains to use that nose to be able to, to figure that out if you're going to be successful doing that. And when you start sure. talking about money, you know, we've got professional hunters back here too that they hunt competition hunts, and their their needs for a dog are much different than what your needs are for a dog. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna bring home paychecks with a dog that that decides it's gonna run the track that was laid last night. You need a dog that's gonna put as many coons on the scorecard in a one hour or two hour hunt as you can get. Yep. Yeah. yeah. I and so to so, so to kind of conclude that that topic is, is exactly, I, I do believe if, if there's a guy back there that has dogs that just stand at the feet 
and won't go get it done or they'll just take the first easy you know easy spot that there's some scent laying there just to slick tree or something then you know that's the you know then obviously yeah i think that they could head west and, and probably find some dogs that are oh, just a crazy higher. yeah just a crazy you know, but, thought i had yeah but i think too there is something to be said for um you know i think a lot of those guys they maybe they maybe or you know or, or a certain, some guy might uh they might read the book and hear the stories and man, that's what I need. And in all reality though, it might not be what you need because if you're hunting a, a piece of real estate that, you know, private, you know, you got one chunk of private ground and those dogs out here, they'll be off that piece of ground so fast and, and, and into the neighbors and you'll just get in trouble. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And so, you know, so, the, so I, I guess it kind of does go both ways is, um, and and I and the reason I say that too is that I talk to some of those fellows here and there, you know, that uh, they think that's what they want, but I kind of, you know, I kind of talk them out of it a lot of times um, of, of maybe what maybe that isn't kind of the style of dog you want. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, that... you know, not, not that they don't want to try one or whatever, and and you know, there's other reasons maybe they want they want those dogs, but but it, it's tough when you read the book. It sounds pretty nostalgic, and boy, those old cold dogs are maybe pretty amazing but they may or may not be what you need it's fun it's funny you talk about reading the book i mean you read the dale lee book or you read slash ranch hounds and you know you envision yourself on this three day old five day old lion track and you know dirt and the nose in the dirt type pound that's out there and you're thinking yeah that's what it's all about i can (laughs) tell you right now that I have no desire to coon hunt in Indiana with a dog that's going to be running a coon track that was laid three days ago. You know, <laughs> it's it's worthless to me. It's it's going to be useless to me. But we've got dogs back here that can't run the one-hour-old track, and that's not acceptable either, you know. So that's the balance that, that I was thinking about when I was, you know, you see a lot of people saying the nose is going out of a lot of hounds. I wonder how I wonder how beneficial it would be if we kind of opened our mind a little bit and thought, man, there's still people hunting these, these cold nose hounds. They're just not here. We're going to have to go. Get yeah. Them. Well, and you know, and a lot of those bloodlines too, they're not, they're not clean anymore. You know, they're, they're still cold and they still have the desire and the style that, that, that works in that area. But those guys, you know, they didn't, they didn't register nothing and, and they bred a little bit of something else here and there into it to whatever made it work. And so, you know, it doesn't work for you going back and, um, you know, so what, but breeding within, within, like I say, a registry, you know, it's, it, there's, there's not that many guys. I mean, there, there is, there's a lot of guys out here that register dogs, but, but there's also an awful lot that don't. Yep. So, um, you know, so those dogs aren't usable for you right. possibly with what you're wanting to do after they've came here, they, they got diluted. It, it may have helped what, what that guy was trying to accomplish, but yep, yep. Um, it may not work for you anymore. True so, enough. True yeah. enough. But, but yeah, we, I've been hunting a bunch of young dogs this year. Uh, you know, it was a, it was kind of a little rough at start to start with. I, I lost, um, uh, a couple, I actually lost, I think three or four, you know, real nice trained dogs, um, here this fall, uh, different circumstances and uh and you know still had some others that were 
doing a great job, but, um, but I was trying to rotate in. And so I started, I think four, four young blue ticks that were all about a year old this year. And, and, uh, every one of them, um, was real gamey. So we, we had to tune, tune, tune down, keep them, keep them on the right stuff. But, uh, when you say gamey, you're saying trashy, right? I'm saying, yeah, super trashy. Yeah. <laughs> yep. and, Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I, anybody knows me knows, I, I, you know, sadly, I, I kind of like that style of dog. That sounds goofy. I like them that, that figured it out quick when they've been instructed and told what's right, what's wrong. But, but, you know, it doesn't bother me any that a year old dog wants to run off game if they haven't been corrected, you know. Right. So right. And in the owner there's just there's just yeah, so so we yeah. hunted you know, four young dogs I guess this year and two or three walker dogs that were young and so lots of youngsters and and that's just always a, a full plate trying to do that and, and I don't necessarily hunt them all the time while I'm uh doing the study work too, you know. I, we, we want to have cleaner we, we can use them here and there but you know we want to have good clean success we can't can't afford to have a day wrecked out by a bunch of puppies right, right. yeah so, here comes casey and the kids here comes casey yeah. and the kids there goes our day it's going to turn yeah. into well, a moose race <laughs> and i had to you know, it's it's kind of a funny thing because anybody that's hunts with that's hunted with me, I always get accused like old Jim Merrill. He he says, "Son, you got no sense. You just dump the box. It's all you do." You know, and and uh, and it's kind of a, kind of the truth. I, you know, I've never necessarily rated my success on on how much game I've caught. You know, it, it, it for me, it's all about getting the, as much time on each individual as I can. Now, don't get me wrong. I know enough to um, to know that one bad day, a bad day, you know, they would have been better sitting at home than to go and get wrecked out on something wrong. So I'm not saying that I just am stupid about it, but I, I do err on the side of of just going for it compared to always trying to micromanage uh, the race and the pack of dogs. You know, I kind of just kick dogs out and let them do it, mm-hmm. and and that's just how I've always enjoyed doing it. And so, so. Uh, you know, this year I did kind of, I, I found myself actually smartening up a little bit and doing things a little smarter, you know, orchestrating <laughs> different, different, making sure I was running the right dogs together. And, and, and also that I wasn't wearing dogs out. I, I had a, you know, it, it, I had a lot of hard running races this year and, you know, some of that, I don't know what it all was. I mean, necessarily, cause it wasn't necessarily all down in that area, but I mean, I had quite a few different different races that i'd have that cat jump by you know you know like nine in the morning or something and and i'd pick up dogs still trailing at dark 20 miles you know on the garmin 20 25 miles 18 miles 17 mile races and and never catch them and the dogs were still cranking but they're just getting tired you know and so that'll kind of once you start having that happen to you you know where they act like bear races why you start realizing that uh that you got to orchestrate dogs a little different if you're going to keep on doing that day after day after day. So, yeah. So I got, yeah. I got a little smarter with making sure I just wasn't wearing everybody out all at once and, and making sure I could keep, keep filtering dogs in there. But so it was a lot of learning. I actually learned a lot that way. It was good for me. And, uh, um, 
yeah, someday maybe maybe Jim Jim won't be uh, maybe he'll come hunt again with me someday. Well, what he's mostly referring to too is it, it's usually four o'clock in the afternoon or something when I decide to dump the box and he wants to go home. So, so yeah, he learned last time. He he always uh, brought his own pickup along so he can make sure. But but he never would. He'd always he never would leave. He'd always feel guilty if he left me in the woods in the dark. So he'd stay. But <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Well, Casey, yeah. man, I'll tell you what, I always enjoy talking to you. It's, uh, tell us, tell us, uh, tell me what the, uh, best piece of advice you ever got from a houndsman when you were learning. Boy, I think, I think, uh, there's a, a, a gentleman that I've gotten most of these dogs from uh, God actually now. And, and one thing he, you know, that, that he continued to impress upon me though, was, was just being smarter than them dogs, you know, take the time to figure them out what's going on. If you got a quirk, something weird that's going on, you know, don't just, just lose it and get frustrated or call the dog, you know, um, be patient and, and analyze what's truly happening, you know? And, uh, you know, I guess, I guess to me, that that's kind of how I try to be. And, and, uh, you know, I see a lot of guys that, yeah, they, I don't know, they don't take it, take it very far. And, but, but yeah, pay attention, you know, to what's truly going on. Mm-hmm. Be well, analytical. And have- yeah. When we were talking before we pushed the record button, we were talking about a young hound that I had that, uh, didn't make the grade. And, you know, you were talking about, you know, I've had good success of hunting them through that and, or hunting, you know, taking some, some of those types of dogs and, and working them, working them through it. And I think that's what separates a houndsman from a guy that has hounds, a houndsman from a guy that likes to hunt is their ability to boil that down and get down and fix those types of things, you know, um, I like, I like cars, but I'm not a mechanic, you know, and, um, it's a big difference when, when you can, when you can slow down, that's a good piece of advice. I like that because, um, we try to pigeonhole. I think, I think we try to pigeonhole dogs, you know, this pup, my buddy's got a pup that did this by this age. And so everybody's like, ah, you know, if a dog's not doing it by this age, then, then it's not worth keeping. And I get, I get the idea that, you know, life's too short to nurse a dog along for three years, hoping that they turn into a dog. That's not what I'm saying. But at the same time, if you're, if you pay attention to what a young hound is doing, you can see sparks of greatness in those hounds. And then it's your job to bring it to the surface you know, to, to, to bring that out, to polish that diamond that's in the rough. Yeah. And you may just be honest with, you know, with the situation and know that if I was willing to put this much time into it, I know I could bring it out, you know, but maybe, maybe it'd be better though, to get it in the hands of somebody that can be that patient because maybe, maybe just because of what I have to get done right now, you know, and the work I got to get done with these dogs, I, I, I not a lot, you know, I'm not able to, mm-hmm. but just be honest you know, and, uh, uh, yeah, 
and it's it's funny because I yeah I've gotten a lot of um, you know, I've had guys tell me I'm full of it, but or, or or stupid for trying, but but I truly have been able to have a, a few that were yeah like you said you got to see a spark you got to see something there, but the dogs that you know one of the finer dogs I ever owned you know he he really didn't put it all together till he was a little old, you know he was two years old or something like that, and he'd been in a pile of game, mm-hmm. and I was pretty frustrated and and before that I had you know, I had gotten rid of dogs, quite a few dogs that, that were at where he was probably at that age, you know, and, uh, kind of stuck with him on that one. But why, why did you, why did you stick with him on that? Well, he was the only pup that I ended up with out of that same female. I told you got hit on the highway. So he kind of, uh, you know, I, I don't know, there's some sentimental value there or something. And he was out of a, you know, and so I, you had an emotional investment. Yeah, and so I um, I put put a little extra, and like I said, I seen sparks of of you know little bits of good. It mm-hmm. wasn't like uh, it wasn't like uh, you know he just was, just was standing around, but he had tr- trouble. You know there was things he wasn't putting together quite right, and things he's putting together the wrong way, and and uh, you know with some patience and a lot of game, he he did come through it. Now, like I said, I don't know if some people might not have been able to have enough tracks to be able to ever get that dog through his quirks. You know, mm-hmm. uh, for me, it worked out and I was able to, like I said, he was a tremendous dog Had a, you know, I have to look back through the records, but he, yeah, he was at an awful, awful, awful lot of, lot of trees for me. And so, you know, patience, patience usually pays off, but, uh, um, but just being honest about it, you know, for sure. Nice. Well, we better wrap this one up, buddy. Yeah, for sure. No, people are going to need a nap break for this one. (laughs) Always good to visit and talk dogs, and they, they, um, they. You know, it's been an awesome thing. People you meet and and these hounds, you know, the the things they bring us together and unite us, and and uh, I think it's important to keep keeping on and fighting a good fight. You know. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen with? By the time this comes out, out it might be history. But uh, you know, what's your prediction? We'll we'll make note that you're making the prediction prior to the vote in the Senate about bear hunting in Montana. Is it going to go or is it not going to go? You know, I don't know. You know, it's kind of funny because he, well, we we made a go at it here about ten years ago, maybe a little more than that. I don't remember, but um, um, you know, we. I've never really felt like we'd, there was a lot of things that had to come together for us to really ever feel like we could get this accomplished. And, um, you know, our legislature is the right, uh, the right bent right now. Um, we've got, uh, we've got, a um, the grizzly bear issue isn't what it was, um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, they're, they're fully recovered, obviously. So there's not no threat of, of hurting the, their overall population and, and there's a lot of buffers and things put in place, I think for that too, mm-hmm. but that was always a big one. You know, we felt like as long as they're on a dangerous species list, um, we were going to have difficulty ever getting a, a, a pursuit season. And, um, so 10 years ago and I said, there's just no way, you know, I just don't see it happening. But, uh, 
but I'm kind of thinking it's going to happen. You know, I think, uh, like I said, I think a lot of the right things are, are put together right now and, and how that all manifests itself out into a season, you know, that's kind of yet to be seen too. But, um, but yeah, if you're going to put in my, my prediction, I think, I think, I think we're on our way and I think it's, it's going. So how cool is that? How cool would that be? Oh, it's just, uh, yeah. Like I said, it's almost kind of like a, you know, you kind of got to be kidding me. I've always traveled an awful lot to try to keep dogs tired in the summer. And, right. And so that would be a, a huge benefit for us to be able to, um, you know, get, get a few more pups going and, and, uh, and keep more people in, into it. You know, the, it's just a wonderful time to be in the woods in the spring and the summer, it's blue jeans and a t-shirt and the kids get to take part more and, and you're not bucking deep snow. And, right. and so, you know, I yeah. love that aspect of it. So I think it would allow that opportunity for some people that might not, not want to go out in the deep snow and in the cold and everything else. So, well, I'm hoping I'm, I'm staying hopeful and, uh, no sense in giving people action points on what they can do. Cause this will, it'll probably be over by the time this comes out, but I'm, I'm optimistic. I think there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work out there right now. They've made seems that they're making the right connections it's got some good traction and uh hope we'll be turning bear dogs loose together here soon casey that'd be cool uh, yeah absolutely yep i uh um and in it in it might you know there is so many great reasons why it does make sense you know just like we we talked back to as a management tool and everything else for the state and and more opportunity and revenue and you know there's it's, it's, it'd be a lot of good for in a lot of different ways, you know. Yep, yep, for sure. So, good to see, for sure, and grateful for all the you know a lot of people that have put a lot of time and effort into making it happen, and uh, and for all the you know non-residents and everybody else too, and and other residents, and you know for health XP, everybody who's kind of getting the word out. I think having a lot of that, you know, social media and everything else, it's really changed the voice that we can have to our legislators um, compared to 15, 20 years ago, you know, it's, it is a different dynamic in that regard. And I think that's made a difference. So, you know, everybody who's, who's uh, called up and, and uh, shared posts and everything else, it, it really does make a difference. I agree. See another instance where technology can be a good thing when we use it, when we <laughs> use it the right way. So, well, Casey, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up and, uh, until until we we see each other again, until we talk again, you follow your hounds, I'll follow mine.